And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Thanks for coming, everybody. Uh, and I don't know if you guys are athletic subscribers, but we have a 50% off deal through Tuesday, theathletic.com slash AskRusso23, I believe. Uh, Wes will be down here any second. Um, news of the day is Miko Koivu confirmed uh, the story that I wrote yesterday that he has decided to not waive his no-move clause. So, And we just talked to him for the first time, and he confirmed that and basically said, uh, that he just loves wearing this uniform and doesn't it can't envision himself uh, really going anywhere else. So that's pretty much what I expected him to say, and it was pretty heartfelt what he said today. Um, and what that really does tell me is that he's probably going to retire after the season, which is tough for a guy that's been here for 15 years, but I just can't see him putting on any other uniform. So that's pretty much uh, the news of today. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, well, Cunnan's out. Uh, 10, 10 days to two weeks with an upper body injury. He suffered on the last shift of the first period the other day uh, in Edmonton. Uh, Carson Soucy is going to be out up to a month um, with another upper body injury, different part of the body. <laughs> and, um, and that really could affect the trade deadline tomorrow because this team's on the verge of a playoff spot, especially if they win tonight. And they could be within two points of a playoff spot. And I just don't see now unless... Somebody blows Bill Guerin's like totally out of the water with some sort of crazy deal that gets them a number one center that he's going to be willing to trade a defenseman. I talked to him on the phone today. He basically said it that way is that like, look, I'll, I'll do anything if it's going to get us a top, top player. Um, but this obviously changes maybe the little tactic tomorrow because uh, they're suddenly without a, without uh, a, especially in a case of Brodeen. 
Uh, you trade Bordin, you don't have Susi. It could really affect things here down the stretch. So that's kind of the biggest uh, thing today uh, in terms of news. Wes will be here any second, by the way. He's doing a uh, rink report with Dan Myers on wild.com. Um, and really, anybody have questions, That's uh, this to me is for you guys. I'm not going to sit here and interview Wes. Uh, you guys know Wes. So uh, any any questions? Do we have microphones for everybody? All right. So, Katie, if you have a question, just ask. So uh, you said that we that he wouldn't trade anyone without a first first center coming back or something like that. Well, that was the inference I took. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, injuries out of Carolina and the uh, prospects that they have in terms of centers mm-hmm. lining up. and then, Nikish. Yeah. That would be the big one to me that's intriguing. I can tell you I have a lot of sources down there. And at least before yesterday – um, I think that they had made it very clear to me that really under almost no scenario would they ever trade him. And so, uh, but now things could potentially change because yesterday they lost Pesci as well and two goalies. But that's also, you know, part of me is wonders when you lose, depending on the severity of both the injuries to both goalies, what you can acquire on the goalie market today or tomorrow and um, how badly Pesci is. Does that sometimes make you as a GM say, hey, we're going to boot the season? Uh, you know, are we going to give up on a short-term uh, problem that they have a long-term potential number one center in the organization just to try to save the season? I think that's a very, very tough thing to do to react to unless it's absolutely imperative that they make the playoffs uh, financially and go on a playoff run. So if, it, if I was the manager there, you got to think long-term. I wouldn't give up a young center like that just because of all of a sudden this major, major uh, dilemma that they've suddenly uh, gotten into. But that's just my opinion. I don't. I have not talked to Don Waddell about it. But that's definitely the question. What you just asked is what I'm getting a lot of on Twitter. Is now does this make all of a sudden? You know, I'm sure that Billy Guerin, one of his first calls today was to Don Waddell. Hey, uh, <laughs> I got a couple D. Um, so I mean, that's that's just a good GM doing his due diligence if that is the case of what happened. So, any other questions in terms of not just trade deadline, the team, uh, being a sports writer, the Athletic. Uh, anything. And again, uh, the athletic.com slash ask Russo 23 is how you can get in for 50% off. If you get in today, I'll tell you, there's some unbelievably cool stories on our site, uh, both on the Zamboni driver. That was <laughs> that, uh, that one that the Leafs die hard, uh, that, that beat the Leafs last night on hockey night in Canada, which is pretty amazing. And then, uh, and then uh, a lot of cool stories that we've had the last couple of weeks with Zach Parisi with, um, with, uh, Alex Daylock. Uh, with Koivu the other day, we had my sit down with Bruce Boudreau. Question: Without the injuries, do you think how close do you think Garen was to pulling the trigger on one of these big deals? And then the second question: Is there any resentment within the organization that Koivu doesn't waive his no move? That you know potential opportunity for the future there. And third question: Any interest in stall? And do you see that as a possibility? Here yeah. to trade dead. Um, uh, you, you might have to ask some of them again, just because uh, my memory is my memory is terrible. But uh, I'll start with the second one first, the Koivu one. N- not knowing what they could potentially have gotten for Miko uh, makes it a little more difficult. But I can't imagine there's resentment, um, especially from Billy Guerin. I mean, this is somebody that's played a long time in the NHL. I think he gets it. This is a very special case. Uh, you know, this is the first and only captain, full time captain in in uh, Wild history. Um, I won't say that in front of Wes and offend him, 
but because uh, he wore the C a couple times with the Wild when they used to rotate the, the captaincy. Um, this is somebody that is only the 55th player in NHL history to play his first 1,000 games with one organization. And then he's got three young kids. It's a roll of the dice, what team you even pick. Um, whether or not those teams even the, the the true contenders even wanted them, there was no doubt there were some trade offers. But my gut says is that there was not a trade out there that made this something that was an absolute no brainer for Billy. Uh, I, I don't think that the way that Miko's playing this year that you were going to get a first round pick. I don't think you were getting a top prospect. I mean, he would have been a true rental. I think it's very very clear. He's very very clear that this is going to be. Um, his last year in the NHL. I really do, especially now that he's staying in Minnesota because I just don't see a scenario that he's going to be re-signed here. Um, so so I can't imagine that, that Bill or the front office or anybody in that rocker room would, would resent him um, for for deciding that he wanted to stay. Um, yeah, I'm here to save you guys. Okay? Yeah. I'm here to save you guys. Right? <laughs> um, welcome, Wes Walls, by the way, former Lightning assistant coach. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Boo. <laughs> former uh, Swiss superstar, uh, Boston Bruins uh, rookie. Uh, and I think he played a little time for the Minnesota Wild as well. Um, let me just finish those other questions, and then we'll welcome uh, we'll welcome in Wes here. Uh, the this, the third one is Stahl's an interesting one. He's got a ten team no trade clause. He's in a big time funk. So if you've been scouting him, I think that would be a little bit concerning. Uh, he's one goal and eight assists in his last eighteen games, I believe it is. Um, and he just doesn't look like he's completely healthy right now. Uh, he did he's had a couple things. He didn't he hasn't been skating in morning skates. He's missed a couple practices. So it's very clear that he's not playing. A hundred percent. So um, I, I think that there's that he's the, somebody that a playoff team would look at and be very interested in. But it's sort of the same thing with Miko and what I wrote in my story two days ago. And Miko is that is that there aren't a ton of teams that are the true Stanley Cup contenders that are looking for centers right now. Certainly not in a top six role. Now everybody at this point wants a center. Um, and there's teams like Philadelphia, who's an interesting one. If you're if you're Chuck Fletcher and have a lot of admiration for for what what Eric Stahl did for him here. Um, maybe that's an interesting one. Um, there's We were in Edmonton a couple days ago. That is a true one-line team. Uh, and and Nugent Hopkins is a natural center playing wing for a while now, so they, they could always use a center, but I don't see Eric Stahl not having Edmonton on his list. Uh, Florida definitely needs a center. Arizona 100% needs a center. So not being privy to what Eric Stahl's list is, um, sure, I do think that that uh, Billy Guerin would consider it if the right trade came in. And your first one was what again? The the how close we were to that team oh, altering. You know, um, I don't think I don't think that the the scenario has changed for Billy Guerin in terms of um, him backing out of a potential blockbuster for Brodeen or Dumba just because of the injuries. But I do think that it makes it a lot harder to make that move, especially with the team that looks like it's at least on the verge of a playoff spot. So it's sort of the same answer when I talked to Bill this morning and he's like, look, if anybody offers us a top, top player, I'm going to consider it with anybody on the team. So I think it would have been the same thing yesterday before the injuries as it is today post-injuries. If somebody offers Billy Guerin a number one center, a true number one center, or the potential of a blue chip prospect for a number one center for Brodine or Dumba, he's going to have to seriously consider it injuries or not. But uh, if that's not being offered now, there's no rush to do anything. These guys are not in the last year of their deal. It should be under Bill Guerin's timetable, not other teams. And, you know, if you're really considering trading them, um, I think that you have to uh, – I think sometimes it's more 
uh, it's probably a smarter thing to do to actually wait for the summertime when 30 teams could be potentially part of that uh, list of teams wanting them rather than maybe just the playoff teams. So this is Wes Walls. Hi, everybody. color analyst. Uh, he's got a hockey school, too, which has been pretty cool. Yeah, busy, you know, doing TV stuff and, uh, you know, kind of wherever the wild need my need my help. This is a Q&A. Anyone else got any questions? By the way, his proudest... You guys know who I am. His, you don't need to hear yeah, all this stuff. His proudest vocation is he's the co-host sometimes on the Rink Report on Wild.com. Yeah, and that's I got, I got sucked in with Dan to, to do this thing after. And actually, Dean Evison was out a little later than normal, so that's why I'm running a little bit late. So apologize for that. Anybody else have any questions about the trade deadline? I'm sure you you listen to Michael and you don't need you can I can hear we can hear you from here. Well, it's going on a podcast. Oh, I'm, so. my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, my question would be for you guys: from what you've seen so far uh, uh, for trades in the uh, NHL this year up to this morning, um, is it? Do you think it's been overly generous uh, from <laughs> picks and whatnot have been given up this year, or about the same as every other year? Or? What do you think as far as I've seen a lot of second rounds, yeah. and first rounds? Well, yeah, I think that I think that GMs get a little silly at this time of the year. And, and uh, you know, first round picks just thrown around, um, you know, Nashville, I think, uh, acquired guys like Hartman and, and Gostad over the years for first round picks. I do think that in a lot of ways, Jim Rutherford and Bill Guerin set the price right now um, on the, in the Zucker trade where it was all of a sudden a player that could play right now. Um, that suddenly is playing really well, by the well, by the way, in Galchenyuk and a first round pick and a prospect. And so that all of a sudden kind of set the market even for rentals. And so we haven't seen a ton of rentals get traded yet. So that is the interesting thing is there's been more, quote, to use a Paul Fenton term, hockey trades uh, the last couple of weeks. Guys with term on their deal like Alec Martinez getting moved and people like that. So um it, it just shows the pre- it shows two things the pressure to make the playoffs and to go on a run but it too it, I, I think it shows especially the last couple of years with teams like Vegas that everybody thinks that once they get in that they actually have a chance and uh, you know as, as I mean Wes could also talk to, you know really about what it's like to be in that locker room this time of year and and how much pins and needles there are for these players. Well, I can promise you there's more there's more anxiety in the wild locker room than there is in the St. Louis locker room. Uh, this time of year, but uh, um, you know it's a, it's a tough it's a, it's a tough time of the year, and uh, I don't know if anybody saw the uh, uh, the video of um, uh, I believe his first name is Brandon Dillon um, from the San Jose Sharks uh, a couple days before uh, he got traded. The video just basically was asked is you know how does he does, how does he feel about this being his last game in San Jose playing in front of the home crowd and. He answered the question truthfully, and he just said, you know said it's just, it's a scary time of the year, and he actually started crying, and he ended up getting traded the next next year, and I think it it puts, um, I mean, us as fans, you know, you read the names getting moved here and there, and you, but you don't see the human side of, of of trades where families get uprooted and they have to move, um, and you've dug deep um, roots where on whatever team that you happen to be on, it's a it, it can be a scary. Um, proposition and uh, you know I went through it uh, quite a few times here even with the Minnesota Wild Um, before I was with the Wild I didn't have as much value but so I wasn't I wasn't in trade rumors as much as I was actually here in Minnesota my name got bantered around quite often around the trade deadline especially if we were you know out of the playoffs and um, it was a it was a frightening time all the time because I truly truly didn't want to go anywhere we had 
you know, we have five kids and they were all in school and stuff. And just to, to get traded would just change, it would change our, 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 our outlook on, on everything. So, um, and I ended up finding out <clears throat> after I, so after my career was over, I happened to run into to Doug Reisbrow. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I had, I had asked him, you know, how close he was to moving me. And uh, he did mention to me that the, he had a, he, he had a first round pick on the table for, uh, for me from the Dallas stars. And I said, what the hell were you thinking? Why would you No, But, and it, but he did kind of quietly mention to me that, uh, I think quietly Jock Lemaire had a little bit of input back then even, and I don't think Jock wanted to get rid of me. So I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure Jock was a big reason why I didn't get traded to the Dallas stars at some point during my career here, which is, I was forever grateful. Might've been in the Willie Mitchell deal. Could have, could have possibly, (laughs) could have possibly been for sure. Mary. How close here? That close? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we're reaching almost the year anniversary of a total heartbreak for me personally when Granlin was traded. You're um, not going to start crying, are you? And no, I'm. I'm. I'm slowly getting over okay. it. Okay. But um, that had to be a devastating trade for him personally, with the everything going on for him at that time. But um, now he's doing real well with his uh, the coaching change, so he probably won't be a trade deadline uh, trade. But would there be any potential for him as um, playing center again and coming to the wild, especially with Miko retiring? Well, uh, you know, did did is Miko retiring? Did, okay, I'm sorry. Did I did I did I miss something in the last ten minutes? Like I I don't I don't I don't I don't I wouldn't count out Miko playing another year after this, you know, I don't know how this is all going to play out. We don't know what's going to happen during the summer. If Billy Guerin's going to be able to go out and get a centerman. I mean, having Miko as your fourth line center here next year, making, I don't know what he, making a million dollars. That's pretty darn good. I mean, that, 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 that would be a a situation that, I mean, I would not just rule out the fact that Miko Koi was going to automatically retire. And to get to your point to uh, Mikhail Granlin as a centerman, um, if, if you want to have a team that wants to have a chance to win a Stanley Cup, your centermen have to be great, and they have to be fast. The centermen push the pace of games, the middle of the rink. If you've got centermen that can skate, and Mikhail Granlin's not the fastest guy in the, in, in the world, and he's sound defensively in his own zone, but he's not strong enough to knock guys off pucks. So when he plays as a centerman, he spends a lot of time in his own zone because he's He's not good enough to, to knock people off of pucks. I don't know if that makes any sense. Guys like Miko, guys that are longer and stronger with their sticks sometimes. And you see defensemen a lot of times, if, you're, if they're going to defend, because they're so long with their sticks, they can separate people from the puck. Then you get to go to offense. I'm not a, I love the way Mikhail Granlin plays the game. He comes to play every night. But if I'm looking to build a championship team, it's, it's in my opinion, it's, it's not having a centerman that is just an average skater in the middle of the rink. That's just my own opinion. Sorry, I'm texting. I'm, no way. I am, I am dealing with a potential story. so It's all good. <laughs> so it's I'm all just good. telling you when this ends, I'm going to probably have to run out real quick and make a call, but then I'll, I'll come back in. Yeah, he's got a lot of busy stuff going on. This goes on whether it's not the trade deadline or not, just so everybody knows, okay? Uh, we'll see. I'm a little stressed right now, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. oh, your, your any more? audio thing went off. Yeah, I know. Be careful. Any more, any more questions? <laughs> hey, I'll take the questions. You can go to work. Um, what do you think the potential of, uh, Sturm making the opening at roster next year is? 
It really obviously depends on on how this team, uh, you know, what they do to to go get a center this offseason. If I were the Wild, I'd still look for a top two center, whether that comes via trade now or in, in the uh, summer. Um, and then you work him in. I, I hate to say it like this, but I think you do work him in on a bottom six uh, center role. I don't think you just anoint him. I look at Nico Sturm. I don't know what you think right now, if he's somebody that could play immediately in a top six role in the NHL just because he's producing in the AHL. I think he's still more of a a third or fourth line guy. And I, I do think that you have to make sure that you have more of a shoe thing, a sure thing coming in next year at center. You know, the other thing is, is that right now, if this roster is, stays intact all, all summer, what we see today and not change tomorrow is that this team has a lot of players under contract going into next year. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how they do that. I mean, technically they, they let uh, Zucker goal, so that created one spot for Kaprasov. But you know, all of a sudden, Galchenyuk might actually make him make uh, Billy Guerin think of whether or not he's worth signing to a, a moderate, reasonable contract this this off season. Um, but if guys like Donato are still here, and you have all the young guys still here, and Conan Erickson at Greenway, and you have Felino still here, which I'm told that unless it's again a, a trade that blows him out of the water, he's not getting traded tomorrow. Um, there's just not a lot of roster room, so. Uh, now, again, a lot depends on what happens with Parisi. Uh, Fiala is still here. Zuccarello is still here and probably immovable. So uh, there's just not a ton of space. So it, he might have to bide his time more down in Iowa. We'll see. And by the way, this kid can play. Yeah. This kid can play. And, you know, when I talk about Miko potentially his career not being over and being a fourth-line center, a guy like Nico Sturm is a guy that can – play the same type of minutes that Miko can. He's just as good as in the face-off circle, plays a heavy game, and to my point earlier about centermen that can skate, he can he can really move for a big man. He's a young man. Uh, Miko doesn't move as quick anymore. So to, to get to Michael's point, um, if a team wants to make a move, who knows, maybe a guy like Nico Sturm is part of a deal. And then if Nico happens to get moved or whatever, then now all of a sudden you're looking at Miko as being a guy that can be your fourth-line center. So... Um, very interesting to see how the next uh, 48 hours are going to play out. There's a, there's a lot going on, as uh, you can tell from what's going on in his uh, pocket. Do you think Chenyuk is going to get a shot at the back to the center role? And I know you've talked about yeah. this before, but, you know, it seems like it'd be worth a shot to slot him in and then versus and then maybe you have to throw Rask on the wing. Yeah, um, it's hard to t say right now, even if he might even get that tonight, just because, uh, you know, they only use nine forwards in the, in the morning skate. Mayhew wasn't here yet, installed in skate. Um, but uh, from everything I'm, I'm told, I think they should at least give him a look. But everything I'm told by him, he thinks he's a winger. And when I talk to Dean Evison, Billy Guerin, those guys, they think he's a winger. Um, but you're right. I mean, if, I do think that it's worth at least giving him sort of a tryout. I mean, that is where he was drafted. I mean, just to tell you how, by the way, weak that 2012 draft was, um, you know, he was the second highest goal scorer right now in that in that draft, uh, you know, behind Philip Forsberg. So. Who did we draft in that round? In that uh, Matt Dumba. Matt Dumba. So to, we did uh, in terms of forwards, it was very, very weak. Yeah, and... and uh, Galchenyuk, as a centerman, if, if you are going to try to slot him in at the center position as a coach, if you are going to do it, it's going to be in a home game when you have last change and you want to put him on the ice against the other team's third or fourth line uh, because he's going to get exposed defensively if he's got to play against the best players in the world. I, I have spoken to coaches around the league that have coached him. He, he's not a centerman. Yeah. He's, not, he's not committed enough. Um, doesn't have enough hockey sense defensively, yeah. offensively. 
a tremendous mind and sees the game, but defensively not good enough to, to, to be a, a... And I think Galchenyuk, I mean, he said, you said that he said he's a winger. He probably recognizes it himself. There's a ton of pressure to play center in the National Hockey League. And not only that, if you have to play center in the league and you be a 200-foot player, it takes away from the offensive side uh, of your game. And I'm sure Galchenyuk wants to put up numbers. He wants to score, especially because in the last year of his deal. Um, it seems like a lot of the top prospects now, um, guys like Boldy at Beckman uh, that were drafted as centers, they've been moved to wing and they've been having a lot of success there. Um, do you think it is possible for them when they come into the AHL or the NHL to transition back? Or do you think it's more of a once they move off and start having success, they're kind of stuck in that lane? Well, I can tell you this from my own experience. Um it's much easier because I, I played uh, left and right wing in the National Hockey League in Calgary, Boston, and also center. Um, very, very tricky to, to, to be a centerman, uh, to, be, to, to be a winger at lower levels and then come and play the center position at the National Hockey League level. If you're, if you're a centerman, it's, it, you know, growing up, it's much easier to make the transition as a centerman to be able to go play the wing. There's certain things that you have to work on in your game, and a lot of them is... You know, when pucks get wrapped around the wall, um, taking pucks off of your skates and, and getting them to your feet, um, having to make plays in small areas when you've got a 250-pound defenseman coming down the wall trying to take your head off, um, eating pucks and not just keeping pucks in areas. And so there's, there's, a, there's a small skill that goes into, into playing the wing position that if you've played center around the middle of the ice all the time, that skill needs to be, to be developed a little bit. But I think it's easier for um, these young kids as... as uh, um, as centermen to be able to, to move to the wing. So it's always interesting to see how these young kids develop. Question in the back. Uh, Mike and Wes, the uh, Minnesota Wild are really relevant right now as a playoff contending team. What player do you think would actually help put the Wild into a playoff position and firmly entrench them there? Thanks, thanks Pierre. <laughs> Pierre McGuire, everybody. <laughs> You'll see him between the benches here tonight doing the NBC game. Go ahead. No, it... You you go first. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, hey, now <laughs> he had to take his, his beanie off for everybody to know it's him. <laughs> what what player? What specific player? Well, you know, uh, Connor McDavid would be nice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Nathan McKinnon would be solid, but uh, yeah. uh, I I mean I, I do agree with with uh, I I do agree with uh, and I don't agree with everything Mike says. But I do agree with uh, what he says about being a centerman, uh, getting someone in here as a legit, you know, first or second line centerman. We just have not had those uh, type of players over the years. And um, I mean, I just I can't get this line out of my head. Like if you had a let's say you had a um, uh, a Nylander from the Toronto Maple Leafs playing with Kaprasov and Kevin Fiala next year as your first first line for the Minnesota Wild. Like, just think about that. And I'm not saying that that potentially could happen but um if you want to try to get a little bit of interest around the minnesota wild and what's been going on um that would be really exciting so um he would be a guy that would be would look really good in a minnesota wild uniform obviously you'd have to give up a lot to try to get him and 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 those are the decisions that that billy garen um has to make but um, when you're talking about moving jonas brodeen or, or matt dumba you can't lose sight of the fact that the reason potentially maybe you can because they've got so much value is because of the emergence of Carson Soucy. I mean, if, if you don't have Carson Soucy do what he's done this year, where he's played 
top four minutes when, when the Minnesota Wild had, have, have, have had injuries. I don't think you can look at doing anything, but you've got a, a number five defenseman that has the ability to play top four minutes. And that's why development of your kids and, and scouting and Brad Bombardier, guys that are spending time on the road developing these kids, they deserve a lot of credit because when you have players like that you've developed, now it allows your general manager flexibility in situations like this. If someone wants to overpay um, for, for one of your defensemen where you, get, you have the ability to bring in a number one center, uh, you're able to do that. So, Pierre? Well, I want to thank you for uh, answering that question. It was well, <laughs> well answered. Thank you. And I agree with everything that Wes just said. Um, I also want to say thanks to everybody here in the state of hockey. I love coming here. This is the sixth time I've been here since January the 1st, and it never gets boring. <laughs> I, I, Always I watched, something going on. I watched um, Division Three women's college hockey two weeks ago. I watched the women last night playing the Class A, which was unbelievable. Congratulations to Breck. That was just awesome to watch. But I know the men's tournament's coming up March 4th to the 7th. Hockey's awesome here, and uh, you folks have helped create that. So I just want, as a person that's made his living in hockey since I was 18 years old, thanks a lot because it really matters here. Thank you very much. Thanks, awesome. Pierre. Thanks for coming, Pierre. Yeah, Pierre uh, will be, be between the benches for the Blues game tonight, but he will also uh, be back here for the Washington Capitals game next month. Yeah, next Sunday. <laughs> Question? So if the Wild go on a run and are able to make the playoffs, what is the exact date that Kaprasov would be able to join the team? And um, yeah, are we able to even have him on the team if we do we have enough spots? Yeah, no, no. Um, as long as you're cap compliant, uh, actually, there's no cap in the playoffs, okay, so they're yeah. absolutely uh, they would have the spot. Um, the soonest he would be allowed to sign would be April 30th, May 1st. So they got to still be alive then, which would be going into you know, it would be pretty, probably midway through the second round, maybe even late second round. But the other thing is there is something else here, uh, a factor, is that uh, I'm told that he's going to play in the World Championships for Russia. So my guess is that they're not going to sign him now to burn the first year of his deal. He'll come here on a two-year deal. Even though burning the first year would actually help him because if he comes here next year as a rookie and does light it up, now you get immediately into your into your next contract and you can sign a big second contract and try to recoup some of the money that he's wasted the last three years by not signing earlier. Uh, Michael, tell us a little bit about the athletic in the future. Is there something yeah. in the next six, 12 months that you know is coming that you can share? And then even just like bigger picture, you know, three, four years from now, what does it look like? Well, I hope it looks the same because I, I'm just, I really am proud that uh, what they've built um, Ad, Alex Mather and Adam Hansman, the two co-founders of The Athletic. And I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that I was there from pretty much the very beginning, especially when it came, came to uh, hockey writing. We now have almost 50 hockey writers, and I was like number six or seven. Actually, the two people that were six and seven are in the building tonight. Jeremy Rutherford and I went through the recruiting process uh, together. So I think we're both very proud of that, and we're teaming up on a story that's going to run during uh, the first intermission tonight that I think all Wild fans will be interested in as well. Um, they, you know, I'm amazed at what they became. When I went and met with them in San Francisco, they told me what their plan was, what their future was, what their dream was, and everything that they've that they said in that meeting has come into fruition. I mean, I never dreamed that they would essentially start a second company. We basically are three companies: one in the United States, one in Canada, and one in in uh, in England right now. And and you're basically three companies because it's different uh, laws in terms of work and all that type of stuff. So. Um, 
we've what we've become in terms of covering uh, soccer is just insane. And then when they've brought in everything from MMA to to uh, to boxing to uh, I mean NASCAR to it's just crazy. And we have like five or six hundred writers now. Our, our staff is we got to be one of the biggest media companies in the world. And so I hope it continues to grow. Um, and I hope that we are, as everybody knows, if you're a subscriber in here, we have, it's no ads. So our revenue is purely pretty much uh, subscriber-based. And as you know, I mean, it's not the, you know, I've already spent more money today on coffee than, than a subscription is for the month. Um, so it's just, and I'm just proud also of just uh, the, the voice that I've been able to find at The Athletic in terms of, I know my stories are long, but that's what I love about it is that there's no space constraints. There's no deadline constraints. So on stories like the Bruce Boudreaux conversation the other day when I met with him at the country club or going to Zach Parisi's house, I feel like lately with a lot of these stories, sitting down with Alex Daylock, um, these stories, I'm able to sort of bring the reader into the living room or into the kitchen or into the restaurant um, like you're sitting there with us where you just cannot do that at at a newspaper. And, and a good example is that is I looked at my first father's roundtable the other day that I did in 2006 with Frank Walls and Robert Schultz and Bob Foster and Gene Parrish and, uh, and uh, Dennis Bouchard. And I could not believe how short it was. And I guarantee I didn't write it that short. But you ha- it's choppy fragments uh, because they ha- you could just cle- clearly see they had to thin it out. Where when you do a roundtable like I did the other day in Vancouver, it's absolutely you want the full context of what these dads are saying. And so uh, you know that's what I love about the athletic is these are just stories you can't write in the newspaper. And that's no slight on them. I mean they do. <laughs> I mean newspapers are absolutely integral in today's world. Um, and I still believe, especially at the Star Tribune, that's that uh, that. There's a future there because it's such a healthy newspaper, um, but this is a different, you know, animal, especially when it comes to hockey coverage. I, I've had my s- subscription right from the very start as well, and and the fact that, um, and I I read, you know, everything that Michael writes as well, just like everyone else. But I, I love to get perspective from other people outside of our markets, and um, just to be able to have insight about what's going on around the National Hockey League. I spend a lot of time reading articles, just reading, reading, reading to stay up with what's going on around the league. And uh, there's nobody better than the athletic. The writers are all amazing. And, uh, you know, if the articles are a little bit long, they're, they're, they're two dares. You read half of it today and you read the other half tomorrow. <laughs> I've done that a couple times, too, um, because we are in that world where everything's a little bit quicker. But uh, the writers are, are second to none. And uh, I enjoy not just the work that Michael does with the athletic for me, the writers all over the world, and and I spend, and it's not just hockey. I'm I'm watching baseball. I'm like I'm football. Um, there's just so much inside information that you you don't get in other other places, and it is a credit to everything that's gone at the Athletic because it is top notch stuff. There's no doubt about it. So if you're not a subscriber in here, theathletic.com/slash/askrusso23, you'll get me fifty percent off. I think that's comes to two forty nine a month. Uh, yeah, is that job. less than the coffee? That is definitely less than a coffee. In, in the States, maybe not in Canada. <laughs> yeah, not in uh, Vegas. Mike and Wes, is there any time you bring up uh, Kakinen this year? Or, uh, yeah. I know the, you know the goaltending is... Um, yep. You said, you said in your column that uh, um, basically if we had better goaltending, we'd be a lot better team. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, um, I, I do believe that. Um, 
there's been internal talk about maybe bringing him up after the trade deadline and giving him a string of games, but now it really does depend on how they're doing. They're not going to do that to the team. They're not going to do it to Doobie and, and Staylock if they're right there on a playoff verge. It's just probably, you know, sometimes you really do got to think of what the message is inside that locker room. And hey, maybe the players actually want it. Who knows? Um, but the other thing they got to worry about now, and, and it's, I know that Wild fans here in Minnesota don't don't care so much about this, but I was rolling and they just lost two huge players today because of the wild injuries in, in, um, in Jerry Mayhew and, uh, and Louis Belpedio. So now what is that going to do to that team that has a legitimate chance to go and try to win a Calder cup? And then you just now take their goalie, pluck them off for a string of games. You just, you, you know, Billy Guerin's running two organizations uh, technically. So you, you just have to, you know, wonder if they would do that. This guy is still, even though you would w- love to see him here in the NHL, he's still getting a string of games, still developing properly. He's still a young goalie, and, and goalies take a while. But I do think that it would be, you know, it's probably important at some point for the Wild to acquire a goaltender, and they do need to know everything they need to know about him on whether or not they can give him the run of games. And the only way to really do that is to bring up here and maybe play him consistently. So we'll see what happens in, in March. Maybe it's not 10 games. Maybe it's just four or five. Uh, but it's definitely been internal discussion. Just playing devil advocate to 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 Michael's uh, story and 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 you know the the sky is falling goaltending situation with the Wild and I and I've said this on the air too and I and I truly believe this. Yeah, this the goaltending without question has has not been you know where it needs to be. Sub ninety ain't going to get it done. It, if you look at sub ninety save percentages in the National Hockey League, if you went from thirty one to twenty five, none of those teams are making the playoffs. Goaltending needs to be better. All right, and if we don't make the playoffs, the Minnesota Wild don't need make the playoffs. Then that's going to be a, a topic that everybody is going to talk about. It's 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 not without question. But I promise you this: if we make the playoffs, and our goaltender's save percentage is ninety two or ninety three over the last thirty games of the season, we won't be talking about goalie situations during the summer. I just don't believe it, because it'll be the it will be the reason that we're playing in the playoffs. That's the way it should be looked at in my opinion. So then now all of a sudden this situation changed. We don't know how this is going to play out. We really, we really don't. We do know that Devin Dubnik's in the last year of his deal this summer. We do know that we've got a, we've got a kid in the minors that has the potential to, to carry the load. Those are all great, but still this story needs time to play out. We're not sure exactly where we're at to just to play devil, devil's advocate to to what Michael's saying. I respect that. Any other questions? Um, I listened to your uh, podcast with Kenny Elbert. Yeah. Outstanding. Thanks so much. He's one of my, uh, I respect him greatly. And if you sat down in front of him right now, you would not believe how humble he is. He's yeah. just, well, uh, he's paid his dues yeah, too. I yeah. thought it was his name, but, uh, yeah, no, he's, no, it was he's a great interview. Just pros pro. Uh, he touched upon, and you touched upon, uh, the Rangers in their letter to their, mm-hmm season ticket holders now taking that a step further a would you ever see that here and b what is the big risk or why don't more teams take that leap of faith yeah i think that it's a it was a very uh, and that happened around the time that the rangers were here where they were completely transparent with their season ticket holders and their stakeholders and just fans everywhere of rain of New York Rangers. That, Has that ever happened before? Do you ever, like not that ed- I remember an, an absolute letter that says, Hey, this is our plan. We are going to rebuild. It potentially could be painful, but now Ranger fans are starting to see the dividends. I mean, they look like this is, a, I mean, Wes knows 
the New York Rangers for years they were a cap team. This is before the cap. Sorry, they were they were they would spend eight million, you know, six million dollars on Valerie Kamensky and put them on the fourth line. And they they've always been that team. They would always trade top draft picks and prospects. And for years they just didn't have any sort of prospect pool because they always just took it for granted that they can outspend everybody. And now they realize in a cap world that you're you're as powerful as the Arizona Coyotes. You know, when it comes to it's like I would say when I, when I play a poker tournament. I don't care how much money the guy is that I'm head to head. If we're in a poker tournament, I paid my, my entry fee. I have as many chips as you do. I'm as powerful as you. And now all of a sudden, the Rangers that had all this type of money in the world now they're in a poker tournament with with play, with all these other teams that spent the same amount of entry fee. He might leave after he gets taught. Ta- after he loses, he might leave in a Mercedes, and you'll leave in a little. That's Dodge, that's Dodge a great Dart. point. That might be different. I was once playing head to head with Ray Romano in Vegas in a sit and go tournament. And I, he had to go do his show at the Mirage, and I split the winnings with him at the the final two. It was like five grand, and we each took twenty five hundred. My brother's like, "Did you at least get tickets out of it?" Like he didn't need the money; he had to go. Like, what are you, an idiot? And uh, so, yeah. Anyway, what were you talking about? So uh, all the Rangers, yeah, yeah, the fans. So I do think that I could. I don't know why more teams aren't just honest with their 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 stakeholders, and um, and it's it's interesting here because the Wild are doing sort of a they're doing a, ma- you know, this is like a quasi rebuild where they, I mean, you say what you want. Everybody's like, why don't they rebuild? Why don't they rebuild? Why don't they rebuild? In the last year, they've traded Granlin, Niederreiter, Zucker, and Coyle. I mean, <laughs> this is a rebuilt team. Whatever your definition of it might be very, very different. Um, so, uh, right at this point, I don't know if you really need to write the, the season ticket holders, but they are a team that's changing, and, and, but their goal is still to win. And right now, they're doing it on the fly. And uh, we could potentially see more moves tomorrow or today. <laughs> Just want to change uh, gears for a second and talk about the shootout. Yep. Um, knowing that probably what the intent of the shootout is and what we're seeing is more gray in matter in terms of the interpretation. Do you see any, do you hear anything about change to it a little bit? Like maybe introducing a back checker in the equation or <laughs> something like that where it would give both sides of the equation more up and up on it than just the shooter playing around sometimes. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't mind the back checking situation. I, I, <clears throat> the back, can I interrupt on yeah. the back checking situation? I thought about for the first time the other night when Parisi was on that breakaway and the back checker forced him to shoot the puck on the top of the circle. And it's just, it is an interesting wrinkle. I mean, and but Zach wasn't in the middle of the rink. No, he was standing. He, he was standing still at the blue line, which is why he didn't gain in a lot of speed. Yeah, and and I can promise you, if there was a back checker, the percentages of the the goals being scored is going to come down. There's yeah. no question about it. There's yeah. there's none. It's very difficult for a goaltender. Like we talk about how defensemen need to gap up in the neutral zone with the speed of the forwards. It's so difficult when when a when a a guy in a shootout's coming in a hundred miles an hour, and the goalie comes telescopes out. And then he's trying to match your speed coming back. And then all of a sudden you slam on the brakes. And now the goalie has to slam on the brakes. And then he speeds up a little bit. Now a goaltender can't skate like a forward can. It just makes it so difficult. And I've always felt if you could master the ability in a shootout to change your speeds and make it difficult on a goaltender with his gap, you're going to improve your odds. So anytime I see a guy come in with the exact same speed all the time, for me, the percentages go up for the goaltender. Um, I mean, there's a reason why you see Patrick Kane do what does what he you know does, and and uh, um, but 
I don't know how it's all going to play out. Uh, I know um, that we've had a lot more success here over the last month in the shootout. It's a big reason why we're still relevant. And um, the the way the team has been changing in our changing in our three on three situations has been much much more crisp, much better. The uh, Kevin Fiala's game going to another level is is just magical. I mean, it is watching him play three on three hockey is just like you guys feel like I do when he gets the puck in three on three. It's like it's like edgier seat stuff. It's a lot like when Marion played here. Uh, Gabbert, it's like a young West Wall. Oh yeah, far from that, far from that. But I and I, you know, I I played in three on three situations uh, as well. But it was more to play on the defensive side of things. But listen, there were times, um, you know, there were there were there were times when I, you know, I enjoyed playing on the three three on three situations. It's uh, um, you need you need the saves at the right time, and you got to finish. And uh, um, down the stretch, I promise you, I promise you, these points that the, if the Wild get the overtime, it can't be oh we didn't finish on our scoring chances and stuff. It can't be that anymore. We've lost, we've given away too many points at the beginning of the season. So we've put ourselves in a situation where we have to finish when we have to get our opportunities. We have to win faceoffs to start with uh, the puck in overtime. We won our first faceoff the other night. What was our last uh, shootout game? Uh, it was the game again that uh, in Vancouver. Okay, Vancouver won the faceoff the first two minutes of the game overtime we had the puck the whole yep. the whole two minutes only because we won the opening face-off and we were actually getting crushed that night in the face-off circle yep. so yeah um but anyways the, the, the I, I like the back checking idea if they do uh, eventually decide to go that that way isn't it crazy stall that game had two it was two and 12 going into like the last five minutes and then he won everyone um a couple more questions because i really do uh, need to make a yep. call and i'm about to have a coroner so hey what do you guys think about in overtime i can't stand when they regroup they all come out of the blue line to I actually like that I hate that like, yeah. they're almost playing for the shootout now. yeah well no or I think it's more like you the, you're, if you're tired if you are if you continue to press you're just going to absolutely give the puck away in a turnover because you're exhausted and you're going to come back I think that if you think about it the wild changed their strategy with that starting with the New York Rangers uh, uh, overtime at Madison Square Garden at the end of November and they've been a much better overtime team since I think it's much more appropriate to do that, uh, regroup, make your line change rather than continue to press for a minute, turn the puck over. And now you have dead players coming back on an odd man rush against. If you have a goaltender that's lights out in the shootout and five teams in the NHL have them, Vasilevsky, I don't know what their records are, but I, I already know in the shootout it's probably eight and one. <laughs> if you've got a goaltender that is lights out in the shootout, I'm bringing the puck back. I, I'm, this is not going to be a track meet for the next five minutes. I'm sorry. I understand fans want to watch this, okay? But I wouldn't mind to have a job if I'm the head coach. And, and I'm bringing my goaltender into play in the shootout, and I'll take my chances. I ain't taking my chances on a two-on-one for you, two-on-one for me. I got the best goalie in the NHL right now in the shootout situation. Sorry. And, and you know, even to get to the, to, the, to the shootout situation, we signed a guy this summer. His name's uh, uh, Matt Zuccarello. One of, the, one of the best shootout guys in the National Hockey League. It's the first thing I looked at when we signed. I looked at shootout percentages, and I saw his name sixth all-time in the shootout situation. And, and the fact that there were times earlier in the season when you wouldn't see him in a shootout. Yeah. Zuccarello's almost 50%. And we're talking like, we're not talking like eight attempts. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Donato's four for six. Zuccarello's, I mean, I, I wrote it the other day. Yeah, it's crazy. And that was actually his first this year the other night. Any other questions? Yeah. Yep. 
Um, I have three questions if you have time to answer them. Yep, so, yep. I might um, leave, he's got there's nothing to going on. Lots of time. The first one is, are the Wilds still interested in Vincent Trocek from the Florida Panthers? Mm-hmm. Or maybe not so much anymore because of the injuries? Uh, my second question is, if or when Miko retires, who would be the next captain? Or like who a potential candidate, yeah. maybe? And then... What's the story behind the Red Helmet celebration? Uh, the Red Helmet, I'll start first. Uh, that happened during uh, the Vale trip. Uh, Ryan Suter and Marcus Flino took everybody out on a river and went white water rafting. And the, they were and they were retiring these helmets uh, to get new helmets, this white water rafting company. So uh, Suter and Felino basically, I think it was Suter and Felino, and definitely Suter, uh, asked if they could take one. And that's how they started making the the, uh, the Hero of the Game helmet. The last couple of years, it's been uh, the police department hats for both uh, St. Paul and Ramsey County, home and away, uh, changed. You take the trill check. I'll uh, take the uh, I'll take the captain thing. Okay, I'll yep. jump in right now. Yeah, um, the the, uh, the the captain situation is fluid. Obviously, um, nobody knows how it's all going to play out if Miko does retire. I mean, there's some candidates that are in that locker room to to be the C. And I've always I've always felt leadership in in the locker room is very very important, and it does not always have to come from your captain. Just because you have a C in on your jersey doesn't mean you can't be a leader in a locker room. If you want to have a team that loves each other and plays hard for each other, you, you, you've got five captains, six, seven, eight captains that are going to close the door from time to time. This isn't just a one-trick pony to have one leader in a locker room. Um, and, and, and sometimes it gets overblown, the whole captain thing, and it's kind of been a bit pet peeve of mine all the year. I mean, I know it's nice to have the C on your jersey, but if you want to be a winning team at any level in any sport, you, you got to have more than one leader in your locker room. That means you're not going to see seven C's on jerseys all around it. And so Marcus Foligno is a, is a, is a, is a that's, guy that's a quiet leader in our locker room and has been quietly for a long time. You're hearing more and more about it now because Michael's written about it. But even before Michael was writing about it, there was a lot yeah. of things going on behind the scenes with, with Marcus and his ability to shut the door and go, hey, guys, let's wake up. Yeah, it took us too long to realize he was a go-to quote, too. Um, I think what, what Wes was just saying was one big reason why Jacques had the rotating captaincy is he wanted, to, especially with those early-year wild teams, wanted to you know create a leadership group in there. And, and, we, had, and we had lots of them, and yeah. they didn't always have the C. My first year covering the wild, the first month of the season that I covered in 2005, the captain was Alex Henry. How about that? Um, good trivia question. Um, uh I, if yeah yeah and I would uh, you know I think Spurgeon's an interesting one but he is definitely not a vocal leader so it depends how much you value that um, Eric Stahl obviously he's got one year left on his deal he makes he makes sense and then you know to me Marcus especially if you can maybe this summer give him a couple year extension uh, maybe he's makes sense uh, in terms of Trocheck I think there's definitely a possibility whether it's now or this summer the the, the seed has been planted they definitely are looking for a lefty in a guy like Brodeen. Um, Billy has a lot of uh, uh, a lot of um, uh, respect for Trocheck's game. Um, the the one thing I don't like about Trocheck is I don't think he's a great puck distributor at all. He's more of a straight line for checking center. Um, but you know, Billy has long told me that his philosophy with that is as long as you have a puck distributor on a line, that he doesn't think it has to be the center. That it's not like the old days when he played, where the wing was straight down the wall all the time. That uh, that if you have a left wing that could pass the puck as well, that that's or a right wing that that you don't nef- necessarily need, uh, because I've always looked as if the Wild get a center that it should be somebody that can put the puck on Kaprasov's stick or something like that. Um, you know, Trocheck. The the biggest concern with him right now is what did that serious ankle injury that he had early November do to his career? Because he has not been the same player. He hasn't played with the same pace. 
but he's got a nose for the net. Um, it seems everything I heard in doing my due diligence the last week and a half is that he's a great kid um, that maybe is like a lot of young kids in Florida that probably just needs to get out and go somewhere where hockey's more of a, a, a focal point rather than in Florida where you know, you're a young guy given millions of dollars and there's a lot of different distractions. Maybe sometimes hockey's How would you know anything about Florida? Yeah, t- type, of, uh, type of priority. Uh, last question. I normally wouldn't do that, but I do. If I don't make this call, you're going to see me drop dead on this. Uh, we don't stage. need that. We don't need yeah. that. Um, about Brodeen, yep. I mean, uh, he's got one year left in his contract, correct? Yes. Um, is it is it possible that uh, if they he want, he's going to make too much money? Well, that, I think that that's that the big thing. That yeah, I mean, this is what the Wild are weighing because obviously Billy Guerin does not want to trade Brodeen or Dumba. But in two years, you're going to have to uh, protect. If you go the seven forward three defenseman route in expansion, you're going to have to protect Suter and Spurgeon because they have no moves. So now that's going to leave you exposing uh, Dumbo or Brodeen. And the other thing that they've got to figure out here with Brodeen is what does he command as an as an unrestricted free agent next year? Now they got one year to think about it, or you could start talking this summer. But he already makes four point two million. He's an extremely good defenseman, but he doesn't produce points. So you've just got to decide as an organization what can you stomach if if he's a, a defenseman that doesn't produce points that's going to command six to six and a half million. Is that too much for you, that you feel that you could pay in your in your in your current salary cap climate? Um, now, if you can get him in the fives, I think that'd be an incredible contract for Jonas Berdeen. Um, That's just where the defenseman market has gone, right? I mean, it's just crazy. But look, you're looking at these defensemen now all making six, six and a half, seven million bucks, but they're usually point producers. Um, I mean, if, if Tyler Myers is making six, Jonas Berdeen is probably going to command more. And so uh, that's what they're trying to figure out right now. Tyler Myers has put up more numbers than Jonas yeah, Berdeen. Yeah, exactly. But. But I think that anybody would say they'd of rather course, have, yeah, Of course, but if you're yeah. looking at numbers. That, yeah. yeah. And that's the problem is that uh, you got to figure out what they can command. So, hey, um, everybody, thanks for coming. The next, uh, Katie, the next one's March 22nd. Uh, and we're, that will be a Trier rank. Ryan Carter will be my guest, I believe. Awesome. Um, and w- thanks for Wes for coming. And again, theathletic.com slash askrusso23. That'll be good till Tuesday. That'll get you 50% off a new subscription to The Athletic. Thanks, everybody, for coming. I'm going to go outside and make this call. Um, If you want to stick around, I could probably talk to you depending on what's told on the other end here. Thanks.